Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. On to my featured conversation. Today, you're going to get to hear my talk with Hannah Huseman. Hannah is a former college softball and basketball player at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. She is now a mental performance coach for the Philadelphia Phillies in Major League Baseball. In this conversation, Hannah and I talk about how she played two different sports in college and the uniqueness of that situation, learning to adapt when it comes to working with different managers and different philosophies in her current role, and why composure and resilience are so important, not just in baseball, but in life too. So let's dive right into this conversation and let's embrace your grass, as Hannah would say, and discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Hannah Huseman. Welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I am super excited to have with me Hannah Huseman of the Philadelphia Phillies. Hannah, thank you so much for joining the show. Colin, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Beautiful. That is great to have the excitement on both ends, and I think that's going to lead for a super exciting conversation here ahead of us. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself because you are obviously more than just an employee for the Philadelphia Phillies. So please tell us, who are you? Yeah. So um, like you said, uh, my name is Hannah Huseman, and I am originally from Nashville, Tennessee, born and raised And I grew up playing sports my whole life. So obviously, like I have a younger brother. And so we like grew up super competitive and just as involved as we possibly could be with sports throughout our whole family and our whole childhood and now adulthood. And so I knew somehow, some way I wanted to kind of stay in the sport performance world. And, you know, at a young age, I didn't know what that was. My undergrad degree is actually in exercise science. So I kind of thought I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach for a little bit, uh, maybe even a softball coach or, or a basketball coach, and really just couldn't find my niche. I couldn't couldn't find like what was really firing me up. So uh, my mom actually has her background in clinical psychology, and she was like, what about psychology? And I was like, but I want to work in sports. And so then we found this beautiful topic of sports psychology, um, and I actually took a class in undergrad my senior year and fell in love with it and wanted to know everything I could know about that and so ended up going um, and getting my master's degree in sports psychology and motor behavior from the University of Tennessee which is a really fancy way of saying how the mind and the body work together to produce optimal performance from there it kind of took off and I've done a few internships and am currently one of the mental skills coaches for the Philadelphia Phillies and going on year number three right now, even though we're on a hold, a holding pattern because of the coronavirus, but we are in year number three right now. So that's a little bit of background about me and kind of where I am now. That is such a cool journey. And I'm (laughs) reminded that although this episode won't air today, today was supposed to be opening day for Major League Baseball and it's... Obviously, there's bigger problems and issues throughout the world, not just here in America, but we all certainly miss baseball. And I know it's got to be hard, especially especially someone in your position where 
you were getting ramped up, right? Like you had already gotten to camp and the season had basically started in its own sense with spring training. And then to just all of a sudden have to put the brakes on. And and again, there are so many bigger things outside of sports and outside of the Phillies and baseball in general, but it is a, a little bit of a sad reminder that today was supposed to be a day of enjoyment. I had it marked on my calendar to watch as many games as I could. And unfortunately we can't do that right now. Yeah. I mean, it was exactly that. Like we were about, so we have a lot of people don't know that there's big league spring training, which is kind of what everybody watches and mm-hmm. goes to the games and stuff, but there's also minor league spring training. So we were about, we were about five weeks in and we had about three weeks to go still with um, minor league spring training and it all came to a screeching halt. Um, and we got sent home and on hold and until further notice, um, just waiting to see what happens. But no doubt, it's definitely a reminder of, how crazy times are right now. And like the plan was to do this and now that's not the plan and that's not what's happening. And it's a lot, it's definitely testing us all on how do we adjust? How do we really focus on things that we can actually control and and how do we accept that this is happening right now and try to make the best out of it because there's not really a whole lot we can do. And so let's make the best out of the things we can control and the things that we can do. And, and hopefully the guys are staying in shape and doing everything they can. And hopefully we have a baseball season. Sooner rather than later. (laughs) Yes, hopefully. And I think to your point, just doing the best we can with the information we have and what we can control versus worrying about what we can't. It's unfortunately not going to do us too much good. So let's transition. We can talk about something a little bit happier of a (laughs) topic right now. And we can go back. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your athletic career. And you mentioned just being part of a super athletic family and competitive family at that. And it just seemed like sports is something that's always been part of the central thesis of your life. And so I think I read that when you went to college, you started playing basketball before playing softball. Is that somewhat accurate? Yeah. So um, I, I forgot to, I left that out, but yeah. So I went to the <laughs> university of Tennessee, Chattanooga, um, which is a small division one school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, so about two hours from Nashville and I actually went there to originally play basketball. And so I played basketball my freshman year. Um, and then, you know, it was a tough year to be honest. There, a lot of stuff happened and I knew that the option wasn't to stay there. And I didn't know kind of what I was going to do from there. Right. I was like, should I even continue playing sports? Should I continue playing basketball? Should I transfer somewhere and play basketball? Should I try to play softball? Because my whole life growing up, like I played all the sports, but my main two sports were softball and basketball. And and so I had to make a pretty tough decision. And I really loved the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. And like, obviously I'd made friends there and my classwork had started there and it was just familiar. And so I was like, I wonder if there's any way to stay here and maybe play softball. And so I went and had a conversation with the softball coach and asked if I could come over and switch sports and Luckily, we had talked a little bit before I had even gotten there, um, gotten to college. So I wasn't just a random person. He was gracious enough to allow me to do that. So I finished the rest of my college career on the softball team. So pretty unique. But I definitely, looking back, like don't regret anything just because I think the tribulations and trials and everything that I went through kind of got me to where I am today. And everything that I experienced can only help me support players and people who I support now. So it's funny, like during it, you don't really understand kind of why some things happen the way that they do. But like looking back on it now, like it's a no brainer why the things happen the way that they did. So it's cool to have that perspective. But yeah, it's kind of a a crazy ride. No doubt. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of adversity to overcome. And obviously it's gotten you to the point where you are today. And I'm wondering if you can help people a little bit. So say there's a high school student athlete who plays two sports, is pretty good at two sports like you were growing up and maybe they're trying to make that decision about which sport they want to play at the next level. Can you walk us through a little bit about what your thought process is and or your thought process was and why you eventually settled on basketball first before you decided to play softball? Yeah, so it was super challenging. Like I so I grew up loving both of those sports and honestly in high school like was pretty good at both of them and I always kind of felt like softball came really, really easy and really natural for me. And that basketball really pushed me a lot more. Um, I was you know, pretty athletic, but it was definitely not as natural as softball was to me. 
it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I actually decided, like I was, I was playing travel softball and AAU basketball. So travel basketball up until my senior year, uh, which is kind of unheard of. Like usually you like specialize your junior year and like, just like, you know, you, you play high school sports, but you usually aren't playing travel ball sports too, like multiple. And so I, I did that. And then my senior year, I was just like, as much as I love softball, like I really feel like the most challenging thing for me is going to be playing basketball. And so I really started attacking the schools from a basketball standpoint and researching basketball programs and trying to figure out what was the best fit for me and ended up the best fit was at the university of Tennessee Chattanooga. And it was, it was not an easy decision. And even looking back on that, like, I, I don't know if I still would have done that. Um, if I could go back and do it again, I think maybe I would have specialized a little bit more because I always kind of jokingly say like, I was really good at both of them, but I wasn't awesome at one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, maybe I could have been, if I would have devoted a little bit more time instead of trying to split the time and, and be good at both. But yeah, that's why I think it was just cause it was always more of a challenge and, and it was more exciting just cause I felt like softball was just kind of like, I got this, like, I know what we're doing. It's all right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that's what I would say. Just this more challenging and, and decided to do it and don't regret it, but it was definitely the challenging route, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong certainly with taking that challenging route. I mean, we talk about all the time, whether it's on this podcast or if I'm working with student athletes, getting out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself a little bit more. And there's a lot to grow, but this is obviously, I think a little bit of a bigger overall life decision that you're talking about getting out of the comfort zone and challenging yourself where you could have said, Hey, softball is the easy choice. I know I can do this at the next level. I'm not quite as sure about basketball, but someone's willing to give me a chance. So I think I'm going to see what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much how it went down. (laughs) So interesting. And, And obviously, as we talked about, then you end up playing softball after that difficult first year. And I would just love again, if you can help someone who is in college and whether they're ultimately going to transfer, which is a little bit easier than it was when you were in school and certainly when I was in school to do, or they're just facing some of those first year blues of being away from home and adjusting to life by themselves and in a different environment and with different people. What are some of the key things that you think helped get you through that time period that you would like to share with somebody who may be struggling? Yeah, so I, I've I've had a lot of conversations with people who were considering transferring or staying or trying to figure out what they should actually do. Honestly, I think the best answer I can give you is no decision is the wrong decision mm-hmm. um, because like. If, if you go with your gut and you go with your heart and what you think you should be doing and where you think you would be happiest, looking back on it, like, I think you're going to find that you'll be happy with the decision that you made. That doesn't necessarily mean the decision is going to be any easier, though. Um, and I think I think try to not just react and, and make like very fast, ra- like irrational decisions. I think it's something you really, really do need to think about. And and weigh the pros and cons of what's actually going to benefit me versus what could potentially harm me. And then I think too, it's, you know, it's really easy to look at the program that you're in now and point out all of the negative things happening and all the bad things and the things that you don't agree with, whatever. And and it's really easy to think that somewhere else it's going to be easier and cleaner and better and more opportunities and more fun and the coaches are nicer and the workouts are easier and whatever. But (laughs) the reality is like, anywhere you go, it's not going to be perfect. And you're going to deal with some kind of hardship, some kind of tension, like very rarely do you just walk through it and it's just a breeze. And so I think that's important to remember too, like, is the, are the things you're going through worth leaving or is it something that you can put up with and deal with and that you may even potentially have to deal with if you go somewhere else? And if the answer is like, no, definitely I can go somewhere else and not have to deal with this, then maybe it's worth going. And if, you actually take a step back and realize I'm not sure like the same thing could happen there, then maybe it's worth fighting, staying where you're at and fighting for, for whatever it is you're fighting for. Um, But again, I don't think there's, I think in certain situations there's right and wrong answers, but I think if if your heart's saying go, go, if your heart's saying stay, stay. And I think you can find pros and cons of both. Um, Like I said, like even on my journey, like there's definitely pros and cons to doing what I did and, and some, and you, for the most part, the pros outweigh the cons. 
But I, I, I always still think about what would have happened if I did this or if I had done that. But I also know that, you know, if I, if I wouldn't have gone back to softball, I don't know if I'd be working in baseball right now. You mm-hmm. know, I, I know that looks good on my resume. And so, and maybe I would have, and maybe it had nothing to do with it, you know, but you kind of never know until you're, you're living it. But I would say, don't make irrational decisions. Really think about if the opportunity is better somewhere else, or if you just feel like it would be better somewhere else, see if it's something worth fighting for and then go with your gut and then take it easy on yourself once you've made that decision. Like don't beat yourself up regardless of what that decision is. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat With Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com, that's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com, to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. I think that's such great advice. And I also think one of the more interesting aspects that you've unlocked, it's kind of a theme, I think, throughout the conversation so far is that in order to maybe find that happiness wherever you are, whether you're in high school, you're in college, you're playing a sports program, or you are in the working world and trying to figure out if the culture environment that you're at is the right fit. It's almost like it's as simple as accepting the fact that nothing you do should be so much of a breeze, as you put it a little earlier, that there are going to be some challenges. And like to the degree of what those challenges are is how you make those decisions about whether you stay, whether you go, whether you decide to do something different. And it's, I, I just think that's an interesting perspective that I don't know off, gets talked about often enough is to say like, life is hard. Things that you do are hard. <laughs> like there is yeah. no just easy walk in the park. So accepting yeah. the fact that things are going to be difficult and just understanding where that line is of difficulty that you want to reach before you make a decision, like that might be a, a really good thing. I think that we unlocked here. Yeah. And, and I've, I've heard this before. It's, you know, everybody talks about the grass always being greener on the other side. And, and one of the things that I've heard before and that has challenged me personally and that I've used with athletes is embrace your grass. Like it's really easy to look what everybody else's grass is and mm-hmm. like how good they have it. And, and also, do we even really know how bad slash good they actually have it, right? Everything looks good on social media and the highlight films <laughs> and the websites and the roster pictures, you know, but like, what it, it like look at yours from an outsider's perspective like every somebody may be jealous of what you're going through and so i think it's important that we really take a step back and look at our grass right what's all around us right now and like there probably is more good than you're giving it credit for um and it may be because you're going through something really hard and challenging trust me i've been there but chances are there's still something good there and if it's worth staying and working through it and you can learn how to embrace the good then awesome. And if not, then again, like it's not a wrong decision to transfer. It's not a wrong decision to, to make a change, but you just want to make sure you're not overlooking your grass for something that could potentially be the exact same or be worse or potentially better, but make sure you embrace your grass first and really know what you're in, what situation you're in before you make one of those decisions. Awesome perspective. Thank you so much for that. Of course. Okay. Now, you had said that you wanted to stay in sports. You kind of knew that at a young age, that was something maybe that you aspired to do when you were an adult and you got into the professional world. Just as a fun question here, I mean, obviously you didn't know that you were going to be doing the work that you're doing today, but what were some of the dream job scenarios that you had in your head to say, I want to stay in sports. This is what I can see myself doing. Did you ever think about it that way? Yeah, for sure. So when I was really young, like I was thinking like WNBA, USA softball player, you know, 100%. <laughs> um, and then I grew older and was realizing that that was outside of my talent ability. Um, and then I thought I thought for a long time I was going to be 
a strength and conditioning coach at the collegiate level or professional level. And then for a while, I thought I was going to be a college softball coach just because I, I loved being around the game. I loved being around teams and players and, and something, you know, bigger than just me. And I thought for a long time I was going to be, I was going to end up being a college coach. And what's cool is, you know, I am a coach, but not the one that I actually thought I was going to be. Right. So I thought it was going to be like more on the physical side of things, whether it was, you know, strength and conditioning or whether it was actual softball skills. And it, it's cool. Now my title is mental skills coach. So I'm still technically a coach, but it's really mostly focusing on the mental aspects of the game and, and the mental side of performance. So kind of came full circle, but I, I, I really, besides like wanting to be a professional athlete when I was way younger and it was just like, all, it was a coach or a strength coach and any way to like stay in the game. But other than that, like I really, really didn't have anything crazy like out there that I ever really, really wanted to do, honestly. So can we talk then about, your work in a little bit more detail and I'd love to understand. And I think for the listening audience specifically too, it'll be awesome to know why your work is so important to this game specifically, this game of baseball and even to softball, it could translate, I'm sure in a lot of different ways. But when we're talking about mental performance, mental skills, I guess let's just break that down really simply and talk about specifically what we're doing there. You mentioned it's not the physical side of work and obviously mental implies that it's something else, but if you were describing it to somebody for the first time, what specifically are you doing? Yeah. So it's basically coaching, just like you would coach an athlete, right? You're going to take them out on the field. You're going to teach them technique. You're going to teach them different skills and strategies. And you're going to teach them how to play the game. Like I'm doing the exact same thing, but instead of working on physical aspects, we're working solely on the mental aspects of performance. So, you know, what are the mental aspects of performance? Composure, concentration, confidence, motivation, resiliency, enjoyment. All of those things kind of fall under the category of what I teach and what I coach and what I educate on. Um, So basically any aspect of your performance that has a mental component, which is almost all of them, like we cover and we cover by, you know, whether it's practicing imagery, routines, um, mindfulness, self-talk, goal setting, you know, anything and everything that you could imagine. And what's cool about my job is we try really hard to pair mental aspects with physical aspects. So it's, it could even be like you learn something physical, whether it's, you know, whatever it can be, a new technique, and then we could potentially add a mental component to that physical component. So do you know why you're doing it? Do you know how you're supposed to do it? And really, really get on the bottom of the iceberg of the physical aspects. Instead of just, hey, go do this, right? We're, we're making sure your, your body is understanding it physically, but also your mind is understanding how to actually do it. How do you move your body into certain ways? And then do you know why it's important to do it? Um, and we find that you know, when you teach the how and the why, it's a lot more impactful than just teaching the what. Um, so that's a big part of what we do too. But pretty much anything you can think of that has to do with performance and the mental aspect of it, even like down to preparation and evaluation and teaching, you know, teaching people how to prepare for something, teaching people how to evaluate a performance is part of our realm and what we teach and what we coach. I think in the general population of the world, especially here in America, there is much more of a social acceptance now about people who do this type of work, again, more in the general public. And that is the larger population. Baseball is the 1% of the 1%. They are a very select group of people. And I'd love for you to be able to tell people a little bit about why it's so the mental skills aspect of the game is so important to these players, not just for their mental health and well-being, but for the physical aspects of the game. As as you mentioned, there's I know because I'm a baseball person, but um, I I just know there's a, a certain degree to this game that is a little overwhelming for most people, and and I think you would be able to connect everything a little bit uh, better than I'd be able to articulate it. Yeah, so I think. I think the unique part of the sport of baseball is there's so much downtime, right? So like a baseball game is 
roughly three hours, right? Sometimes a little less, sometimes way more. Um, <laughs> and, and when you actually talk about how much time is actually being played, like when the ball is in play, when you know what the pitcher's about to pitch, it's probably less than 30 minutes, right? So there's so much downtime, which I think is why the mental aspect is such a huge component of baseball is because you have so much time to overanalyze, to overthink, to overcritique, um, and just to truly get in your own way and, and be in your own head. And, and so I think there's a lot of opportunities for these guys to control what's actually happening in their mind. And, and sometimes we can't control what's happening, but we can control the response to what's happening. And I think that's a really important aspect of it too, is, is knowing that you're going to have negative thoughts. You're going to have crazy random thoughts or your brain's going to be all over the place. But when you need to lock it in, do you know how? And, and if you are having wild, crazy thoughts, can you control it to a point where it's not hurting your performance, but it's helping your performance, right? Because, you know, a lot of a lot of the emotions and the reactions that occur during games, sometimes you can't control, but you can always control your response to those things. And so that's a lot about what we focus on, too, is, is how do you respond to the things that happen, whether what happened is in your control or whether it's not. But whether it's totally outside of your control, right? A bad call, you know, teammate makes an error or whatever. Like, how do you respond to that in, in a way that's helpful to your performance? So it, it almost all comes back to that. Like, is what you're doing, is how you're preparing, is how you're evaluating, helping your performance. If it is, great. Even if it's some crazy stuff. Um, and if it's not, then how can we fix that? How can we adjust that? How can we make it work for you instead of against you? I don't usually pat myself on the back on my own podcast, but I'm going to do it for the purpose of getting to my next question, just to give a little bit of context. And yeah. my formative years of baseball, I feel like we're leading into college, at least we're age 12 to 18. So for me, that was 2001 to 2007. And totally different world in terms of when you're talking about mental performance and mental skills and the just social acceptance of all that. But I have to credit my dad who got me Harvey Dorfman's book, the mental game of baseball. And he was heavily involved with a number of different organizations in baseball long before this really took off and afforded you and multiple other people opportunities like you have today. And I remember being a little bit of an outlier, not just, reading the book, but doing things like visualizing. And I can remember very specifically, we were coming up on a big game with a high school rival when I was on the varsity team. And a couple of my friends and teammates were just you know, hitting around in the batting cage and talking. And they said something to me along the lines of, aren't you getting pumped up for this game and, and everything? And I just kind of looked at them. Wasn't Honestly, I wasn't thinking anything of it at the time, but it's like so hilarious to look back on now. And I don't even know if any of them would even remember it. But I just said, no, I don't. I I treat every game like it's the same. Like I try not to get too up, too down. Like I was really focused on so many of the, the mental aspects. And I don't know that people my age, especially at that time, were as yeah. focused on those type of things. And so I can really appreciate that type of work. And I know from listening to CC Sabathia's podcast, he talked about when he got to New York in 2009. So connecting the dots a little bit, I was 2007. And then we're so now we're in 2009. When he gets to New York, it's still not really an accepted thing. Like it's almost taboo. If you go to some type of therapist or counselor, whatever you want to generalize it as. And then by the time he retires last year, He's talking about openly on his podcast. I mean, literally every single player on the team is getting help from the people that do this for the Yankees organization. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not an open secret. That's not the the right word, but it's, it's accepted now. Like people yeah. want it and, and it's just a total radical change. And I'm wondering, I, this is a long winded way of me saying, are there still players that are resistant to it? Like, do players come to you and say, hey, Hannah, I want to work specifically on X, Y, Z, or are you putting together programs for representation of the Phillies, for example, and players are going through like more of a kind of a seminar or a classroom type setting, like maybe in the preseason, spring training, something like that? Yeah, so we, it's, it's different. It's, so we have 
we've mainly focused on individual meetings. So we mainly focus on one-on-one meetings. And um, of course we want everybody to just volunteer and come talk to us when, when they need to, or when they want to. Uh, But we also are trying to destigmatize, you know, what is mental performance coaching, right? We don't want it to just be like whenever something's wrong. Oh, that's when you go talk to the mental performance coach. Um, (laughs) So we, we work really hard on destigmatizing it and making it part of the Phillies culture and part of the norm. Like it's what we do. If you are a Phillies baseball player, you are going to do strength and conditioning. You're going to go to nutrition. You're going to work out. You're going to do all the stuff on the field and you're going to do mental skills. And if you speak Spanish, you're going to take English classes. And if you speak English, you're going to take Spanish classes. You know, it's just one of the things that we do, which I love because again, that's, that's taking out this negative context of, I only have to go see them when I'm really, really bad or when I'm playing really bad or, or anytime someone's talking to me, you know, it's bad, right? Instead, it's just like, oh, no, I got to go talk to Hannah. Just like I got to go talk to the nutritionist or just like I got to go run my sprints today. Um, and so a big part of what we do is making sure everybody has a one-on-one meeting at least once a month. Um, and then obviously we have an open door policy. You know, if the door's open, come on in whenever you want to and, and encouraging them to be vocal when times are going really well and also when they're struggling. Um, because I think a huge part of, of what we do is it's really easy to like pick at when things are going wrong, but when things are going well, sometimes we overlook that. And um, so I, I think it's really just as important to make sure we're having conversations when things are going well. Um, so most of it's one-on-one work. We do some groups works. Um, it's, it's mostly smaller group stuff. So like, maybe just a meeting with the pitchers, the outfielders or the catchers or the hitters only and really trying to make it specific to them just so they get a few more touches on mental skills. So it's obviously a little bit more broad and then maybe that can create conversations to make it a little bit more personalized to that specific player. And, you know, right now we're trying to just figure out how to do that um, through the internet um, and like supporting them and, and FaceTiming them and making calls and everything um, while we're apart. But it's mostly one-on-one individual meetings and with group workshops thrown in there too. And we also do workshops with the coaches too. What an important point to say that the work that you do and the guidance that you can provide is something that isn't just for when things are going wrong. It's something that can be used to give you an advantage, even if you apply it the right way. Is that accurate? For sure. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're trying to say all the time, right? Is, is a lot of times it's, again, so easy to dissect what you're doing wrong. But at the same time, if things are going well, do you know why things are going well? Like, do you know what you're doing? Or are you just like, okay, another good day, chalk it up and walk out, you know, instead of really like becoming aware of what you're doing physically, what you're doing mentally. And and I think sometimes we take that for granted and we're like, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. When reality, it's like, actually, I'm not a hundred percent sure I do. And so I think, I think that's a huge piece that sometimes goes under the rug for sure. Charlotte's Web is a leader in CBD hemp products, including oils, gummies, and topicals. These products can assist you with anything from faster fitness recovery to getting a better night's sleep. They even have products for dogs. Personally, I like the gummies best, and I'm telling you, the sleep gummies have helped me improve the quality of my sleep. I also love supporting Charlotte's Web because they are committed to unlocking opportunities for women to succeed through the Women's Bean Project. You can learn more about that project or any of their products by going to their website, charlottesweb.com. As a loyal podcast listener, you can receive 15% off of items. All you have to do is just enter the word dynamic at checkout to receive 15% off of Charlotte's Web CBD hemp products. Now, we obviously don't need to get into specifics here, but I'm curious because you've had a personnel change, pretty significant personnel change between when you started versus where we are today at the manager position. Gabe Kapler was the manager and now Joe Girardi, who is taking over. Does the coaching staff in general, or maybe the manager, general manager, some of those higher up positions, do they have any type of input into the way that you are 
building the different programs and in, in the ways that you want to work with the athletes? Do they have any say or input in that? Or is it just more you provide it for them and collaborate in that way? Yeah, I think I think the managers set the tone for everybody underneath them, right? Like they they come in with with their expectations, their rules, their goals, all, everything that they bring to the table, and we kind of bounce it off of that. Um, you know, we take what they find important and what they see the major need is, and kind of create the curriculum based off of that. Definitely not just us just winging it and throwing stuff out there and seeing what sticks, um, but it, it's it's pretty strategic on especially in like big leagues trickling down to the minor leagues. Like we want to make sure the information is getting spread the way it needs to be spread. And so like, it's not totally different from big leagues to minor leagues, but it, it's kind of cool because although like we, we have major themes during spring training, um, but you know, during the year, it's a lot more individually based. So it, it's kind of on an, on an as need basis of like what this specific guy may need. Um, and then we just want to make sure that what we're communicating with them is, you know, matching and in sync with what the organization wants us to be putting out there, which is usually awesome stuff. So it's, it's never, we've never had like any huge issues or anything like that. Usually everybody's on the same page and we just can support, you know, other staff and the managers and the coaches and even like weight room staff and all of them, we can support them through our work, through what we get to do because we get to have, you know, really in-depth conversations. Like our number one goal is building relationships. And so sometimes guys feel more comfortable talking with us than other people. And so it's cool that, you know, they can be open and honest and vulnerable with us and we can support the club too and just create this really cool, safe space to just communicate and figure out how to get the best of both worlds, right? How can we make this player the best and how can we make the Phillies organization the best in, in a really unique, cool setting? So it, it puts us in a, in a cool spot but yeah that's that's my answer to that yeah and it brings up another really important point about relationship building and how important it is for you for example in the work that you do to build a relationship with someone like joe girardi who is in the trenches every single day with these players probably has a pretty decent pulse on what the clubhouse looks like and what they might need versus some not saying that you can't do it from the outside, but sometimes you need that reinforcement from the people who are in the trenches every single day and can give you that almost that insider information to help you out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, typically the players are pretty vocal about it too, but like anytime I go into one of our affiliates, you know, cause we have nine, I believe nine or 10 affiliates. Like you go in and the first thing you do is you go talk to the coaches and you get a vibe for how things are going. So absolutely, especially because we can't be everywhere at once, right? And the, we we have four mental skills coaches, and one is predominantly in the Dominican Republic. So technically, we have three on this side, um, and we just can't be everywhere at once. And you know, we have so many guys and, and so many teams that we absolutely have to rely on managers and other coaches and guys who are there on a day to day basis to to fill us in when we get there for sure. And you pointed this out a little bit earlier, and I'm definitely guilty so far of this conversation about focusing a little bit, probably too much, on the Major League squad. And there are other aspects to the Phillies organizations and a lot more minor leaguers than there are major leaguers. And I actually had Rachel Bakovich on. Uh, she's the hitting coach, minor league hitting coach for the Yankees. Uh, back in January before spring training started, she was on her way to Tampa and I remember her telling me how incredible the whole minor league experience is and the development aspects and how that's just really exciting and awesome to be a part of. And I'm wondering from your perspective, do you, do you tend to get to do a little bit more of the mental skills, mental performance development with the minor leaguers than you do with the major leaguers because they are in that development phase versus when you get to Philadelphia, it's pretty much win or lose your job. Yeah, so I I definitely am, with my current role, I'm all in on the minor league side right now. So we have four, so my boss is more with the big league okay. um, and AAA, and we kind of split the rest. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely cool, too, because I feel like, you know, I, I don't have a ton of experience yet, you know, three years. And I think, but the minor league guys are so eager, right, that the ones who really want to be here, right, are the guys who are constantly searching for the next best thing to get better. Like, how can I grow today? How can I get better? And, and I 
kind of laugh, but I say this all the time. I'm like, you know, my biggest fear is that physically you're ready and you make it to the big leagues. And then mentally you can't do it. You can't handle it. You crush under pressure or you're not ready or you're not prepared. And, you know, when you say that, they're like, oh, gosh, you know, they're like, that sounds horrible. So let's do whatever we need to do to to make sure we're there. And so it's typically a pretty solid buy in. But, no, I I think they're all so eager and and open and and willing to do whatever it takes. Um, At at least that's been my my take. It's been awesome. Like they are grind. They are the definition of grinders. Right. They, They don't make a lot of money. It's not glamorous at all. Long bus rides air mattresses bunking up and you know four of them in a one bedroom or a two bedroom you know so it's it's definitely a grind but it's cool that they can still find ways to push and to get better and to want to get better and strive for that dream every single day so my, my side's definitely more on the minor league side for sure very cool and very exciting time obviously for not just you but for the players as well as they're hungry to make that leap to the big show Absolutely. And they are. And, and sometimes it's, it seems further than normal, but, and it's, it's our job to kind of help them keep that perspective of why are you here? You know, all of that good stuff. <laughs> so yeah. cool. I'm wondering if we can do a little bit of a practical exercise. You had mentioned earlier in the conversation, a couple of components that go into some of the teaching and some of the guiding that you do with these athletes. And I picked out two in particular, again, that I feel like for baseball specifically, they're very powerful, but I think in life too, they translate really well. And I'm wondering if I can give you the word and if we can just break down how you would just from like a a very basic breakdown, how you would teach somebody to have, so I'll give you the two words here and then we'll see what we can do with them. Composure and resilience. If we could just talk a little bit about both of those, like if someone came to you and they needed to work on their composure, they needed to be a more resilient person. What are some of the first things that we're doing with these people to help them improve? Yeah. So step one um, for both of those is to create awareness, right? You have to, you have to figure out who you are. And you have to figure out who you are when you're when you're performing at your best, right? So composure is different for everybody, right? Being resilient looks different for everybody too. So I think the first thing you have to do is become aware of what kind of person you are, what kind of a player you are when you're performing well, and what kind of what type of composure do you have? You know, some people's composure is quiet and not speaking and others are like singing and happy and making jokes and others are <laughs> running around screaming and waving a shirt around the locker room before they <laughs> go outside or the clubhouse, whatever, you know? And so I think, I think it's, it's, you know, the world wants fast, quick answers to these questions, right? I get it all the time and, and there's no fast, easy answer to that. It's, it's, you have to know what your type of composure is, which Anybody ever talks to me about anything, most of the time I'm going to talk about creating awareness around who you are as a person and what you need. Um, so it's a lot of that, right, it, to start off with where do, where do you need to be at? What are you at? How do you need to get to where you're at? And then we talk about what could potentially knock you off your rocker, right, for both composure and resiliency. Like what do you foresee getting in the way of knocking you off where you – what your energy level should be at, right, what your – like optimal level of arousal should be at, right? Because that's what causes us to lose our composure or causes us to, you know, something bad happens and we can't bounce back, which is what resiliency is. So what could potentially get in the way? And then let's make some contingency planning, right? Let's, let's, we don't want to plan for you to fail at all, right? But if you fail, we want to make sure we've got a plan for you. It's just like, you know, in the military, they don't plan to run over landmines, right? (laughs) But if they do, they've got a plan, right? That everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to do it, and how they're supposed to do it. And so it's kind of the same thing, right? I don't want to plan for somebody to hit a home run off of you or for you to make an error or for you to fall on your face when you're running after a fly ball. But if something like that does happen, how are you going to respond? That way we can stop right? That's basically being resilient, right? Bouncing back from something that's happening. And also we can be in control of your composure before you even are allowed to lose it because you are already aware, you're already prepared and you already have those tools in your toolbox that you can pull out and use before you even get the opportunity to lose your cool. And I think that's the most important part. It's knowing who you are, knowing things that you may be faced with, like 
again, some things we can't predict, but if you have enough different things that you talked about that you could potentially be faced and you have enough tools to face them, usually you can use those tools on multiple facets, like whatever could actually happen, you could use that. And then making sure you actually practice doing that, right? That's, I think that's the biggest part about mental skills that gets washed to the wayside is they, they listen to this podcast or they, they hear something and they're they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like I'm going to do that. But it's just like physical skills. You have to go out and practice staying composed under pressure. You have to go out and practice something really bad happening and being able to bounce back quickly, you know, or or as fast as you possibly can. And, And so I think you, you make these plans, you talk about these and maybe you even implement some, some failure strategies. Like, Let's practice. Let's do something incredibly challenging that you're going to fail at and see how you bounce back from it. Um, and, and actually taking, again, pairing that mental training with physical training um, and just making those situations happen so that when they happen in a game, like you're more than prepared. But again, that that looks different for everyone. Right. Because your composure is different than my composure. My resiliency is different than your resiliency. You know, um, people play at different levels of energy. People play at different levels of arousal and and you have to become aware of that before you can start anything. And then we just kind of put different strategies in and different scenarios and see how you would handle it and, and train up as best as we can and practice as much as we can so that when it actually happens, you're as prepared as you possibly can be for any situation thrown your way. Yes, and I love how you highlighted the mental reps and how you need to get those in, just like if it was a physical thing and yeah. whatever you're doing. That is so important and so often overlooked to your point to wrap up this portion, the mental performance portion of the conversation. I just want to ask you, does it ever work? Like, have you ever had an experience, whether it's a player or maybe family friends that you've helped out and guided throughout the years, does it ever work whether they're struggling or not? If the person that needs to do the work, isn't willing to do the work, like, can you flip a magic switch for them or do they really need to be fully invested? Yeah, they, they really need to be fully invested. That's an awesome question. No, if, if you, if you don't believe it, if you don't want it, if you aren't even the least bit interested, it's going to be really hard for it to make an impact on you. That being said, you know, there's been a couple instances where I have definitely had people who are like, Oh no, I'm good. I don't need it. And then, you know, you end up working with some of their teammates or their friends or their family. And all of a sudden they're like, wait, what was this conversation you guys had about X, Y, and Z, you know, and then, and then it piques their interest and then they come around. Right. And then we can actually see benefits from it. But if, if you're like anti mental skills, anti working on them, anti any of that, chances are it's not going to impact anything because it's, it can almost do more damage for me to try to force something on you. Like, no, you have to do this. Um, than to just kind of let it go and let you kind of figure it out on your own. So, you know, I just encourage and I'll still try to educate a little bit and, and of course, always let them know that I'm there and that I'm a resource for them and that whenever they are ready to talk or or willing to talk or or interested or even want to just read a book on it or they see a crazy article online and want to talk about it, like I'm always here. So, but no, we, I learned very quickly in grad school, um, a thing called go with the goers, right? Especially in our field, like, it's it's not going to be pretty if you like have to force this on people. So that's why I try so hard to make it a part of the culture and to make it something that isn't awful and not super painful to talk about or work with or put into your game and your training. Um, because the more appealing you can make it, like the more likely they are to even even give it a shot. It's so interesting. And you actually unlocked one extra question that I want to throw in here if there is an individual listening to this that for whatever reason they don't have the time they can't afford it to get individualized like person-to-person mental help and skills training and all that type Mm -hmm. of stuff is there some type of book or some type of podcast or maybe a couple that you can think of off the top of your head i know i'm putting you on the spot but some type of resource that's free or somewhat affordable that they could look into as an alternative yeah one of my favorite books I recommend is called the champion's mind. Um, and the reason I recommend this is because I think it's as close to like a sports psychology textbook in book form that you can get. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot of the basic lessons and there's a lot of different stories and analogies in that book. And so it's really tangible 
um, and, and easy to read and understand and, and implement. Podcasts, there's a few out there. Um, Justin Sua has a really solid podcast. It's like, you know, averages around five minutes an episode, so it's short and sweet, um, but he's, he's good on the mental performance side. I would just caution people to be careful just like going on and watching a bunch of motivational videos um, that there is a big difference between motivation and sports psychology. Um, and, and while motivation may get you going and get you hyped for 30 seconds or 30 minutes, um, it's really not hitting the hard stuff and getting down to like knowing who you are and why you're feeling the way you're feeling and why you're experiencing the things that you're experiencing. So I would just proceed with caution. Like there's definitely a time and a place for them, but, just make sure you're really like search, search sports psychology, search mental skills, search mental performance. Um, don't just search like motivational videos. I get, I get asked that question quite a bit on Instagram. People will just message me and be like, can you send me some motivational words? And it, it's so much more than that. And so I would just be cautious of, of that and getting sucked into that trap. But yeah. Very cool. I appreciate that. And Hannah, if people do want to follow you on Instagram or just find you on social media, reach out, follow along on the journey, how can we find you? Yeah. So my um, Instagram is just my first and last name. So it's just Hannah Huseman. And then Twitter is Hannah underscore Huseman. And those are, those are the two I'm on the most. And I'm on LinkedIn too, but that's just first and last name. So yeah. Very cool. Well, Hannah, before I let you go. The show is called Dynamic Leaders. And wow, you've just showcased today how you are leading all of these young Philly players into hopefully the big leagues at some point, whether it's with the Phillies or someone else and just all the help and guidance that you've provided them. But I love to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own lives who are influential, whether from a leadership perspective or just in general, do you have someone that you want to give a quick shout out to today? I probably have to give a shout out to my dad, honestly, because we're, we're in similar businesses. And although our worlds are like totally opposite, um, we do a lot of the same work. And so he's, he's definitely been huge on, on my work and my inspiration. And, and he's always been the biggest leader in my life and inspired me to lead others too. So I'm going to have to shout out dad on this one great shout out and an awesome way to end what's been a really amazing and plentiful learning here on this episode. This conversation has been so great. And Hannah, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this today and to share everything that you did with me and with the listening audience. And we certainly wish you the best here in the future. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Colin. I look forward to the podcast coming in.